This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. A healthy democracy relies on an independent press, free from political interference. That independence is now in jeopardy thanks to this government's half-billion-dollar media bailout. The Canadian Association of Journalists have expressed concerns with the process that would muzzle members of the advisory panel keep Canadians in the dark about who gets rejected for funding and allow the minister the power to overrule the panel anyways. When will the Liberals realize how much damage they are doing to the trust and independence of our free press by trying to stack the deck in their own favour? Honourable Minister of Heritage. Mr. Speaker, once again, the Conservatives are playing a dangerous game. They're attacking our media, they're attacking the independence of the journalists, and have been very clear since day one. Everything will be transparent. Everything, Mr. Speaker. And the, and the Conservatives, instead, instead of attacking professional journalists, they should be there to support them, because they're part of our democracy. They're a pillar of our democracy, Mr. Speaker. This is what the program is in place, respecting also, at the same time, the independence and the freedom of the press. Is the media in a state of financial crisis? If you follow the media industry, your answer is likely to be yes. Stories on newspaper closures and journalist layoffs have become frustratingly commonplace in recent years, leading to increasingly vocal calls for policy reforms or public funding measures. The Liberal government responded to those concerns in its last mandate, with promises to provide hundreds of millions of dollars in support to the industry a decision that sparked its own set of concerns about the independence of the media and where the money would be going. Mark Edge, a longtime journalist, editor, and professor at universities around the world, has studied the state of the industry for years and offers a different take. While he is quick to point out the crisis of journalism, indeed the layoffs in the sector are deeply troubling and undeniable, he notes that a journalism crisis is not the same as a media crisis. In several books, op-eds, and public lectures, he has examined the financial statements of Canada's leading media companies. For example, at a Future of Journalism conference in Wales earlier this fall, he presented what he described as an attempt to reconcile widely mistaken perceptions of the economic viability of newspapers as tenuous with financial data which show that they continue to post comfortable profit margins. He joins me on the podcast to discuss the historical development of the Canadian media and what the data tells us about the current situation in Canada. Mark, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Great. So you've called it the big lie of Canadian media. And I think it's fair to say that scarcely a week goes by where we don't see warnings of what's often described as a financial crisis for the Canadian media. But you've written extensively on the subject, oftentimes drilling down into their financial statements and providing a bit more historical context. So why don't we start with the basic question? Are the big Canadian media organizations in a crisis? In no way are the big Canadian media organizations in crisis. The largest Canadian media companies, Bell Canada, Rogers Communications, make enormous profits, 40% profit margins. Bell Canada last year made profits of $9.5 billion, billion with a B. To put that into context, 
that's larger than the GDP of many small countries. Uh, Rogers was not far behind with $6 billion in profits. Uh, this is largely driven by their uh, telephone businesses, Bell with their landlines and uh, cellular phones, uh, Rogers with their cellular phones, but Rogers in particular with their cable monopoly in Eastern Canada, Shaw in the West, uh, they're making a, almost 50% profit on the cable television, which is going down because people are cutting the cord, but they still have largely a monopoly on internet service provision uh, and it's unregulated and they're making almost 50% profit margins. So they're making money hand over fist. I don't know how they could possibly be in crisis. Okay, so certainly that speaks to the enormous profitability of the communication sector. And we often talk a bit about that in some of the on this podcast where we've talked about high wireless pricing, high costs of internet and the challenges that we faced and that's consistent with what you're describing as as massive revenues and profitability on the media side, do we have data on what it looks like at those companies in terms of some of their media assets? Well, yes, the, these companies are so profitable that they've now scooped up, you know, their carriage companies, they have now scooped up the largest uh, content companies. Uh, for example, Bell owns the CTV network. They made last year $693 million in profit. Uh, that was a profit margin of only 26%. To put that into context, the average profit margin of a Fortune 500 uh, company historically has been about 4.6%. So these are still highly profitable businesses. Television, uh, legacy media, not nearly as profitable as they used to be, but still doing very well indeed. Rogers owns the uh, city TV network. After all, they have to do something with all this money they're making. If they reinvested in acquisitions, they don't have to pay tax on it. So these acquisitions are actually being subsidized by you and I, other Canadian taxpayers. Well, not me anymore, but you. Uh, City uh, TV network made a profit of $196 million last year. Uh, their profit margin wasn't nearly as good as CTV at only 9%, but these have now become diversified media conglomerates. So basically, whichever way the wind blows, they're going to make money. Okay, so big profitability numbers, certainly on the communication side, but the media side shows that they're a pretty robust situation as well. That's the that's the big media side of the story in terms of broadcast. But of course, much of the focus has tended to be on print and the news media, particularly companies like Post Media and Torstar that have driven much of the policy discussion. Uh, could we get a little bit into, into those two companies and what some of the data tells us there? Yes, well, uh, no doubt about it. The newspaper industry has taken a, a bit of a hit in the past decade. Um, they don't make hundreds of millions of dollars in profit anymore. They only make tens of millions of dollars 
in profit now, and this is this has uh, had some very negative effects on journalism. But they they have been able to keep their uh, heads above water. Uh, my analogy is that while they have been able to keep their heads above water, the the water is draining out of the pool. So the question is, will they go? down the drain. Uh, I don't believe they will. You have to remember that newspapers started out as small businesses, usually one-man operations, and it usually was a man, a printer, publisher, editor, writer, reporter, and they grew into enormous businesses um, because of the advertising bubble, which grew up uh, in the 20th century, and they were making profit margins of 30, 40, even 50% in some markets where they had a monopoly. So they're not making nearly as much money as they used to, but they're, they're, they're not dying. This was the uh, subject of my uh, 2014 book, Greatly Exaggerated, The Myth of the Death of Newspapers. Newspapers are actually inherently profitable, e economies of scale, elasticity of demand, high barriers to entry, things like this. So uh, I believe newspapers will continue to endure, but I think it's safe to say that they're no longer the cash cow that they used to be. Okay, well, though that's a far cry from the descriptions that we often see in the media. I want to get into some specifics with respect to the two bit to, to both post media and Torstar in part because they've been very active on the lobbying front for policy reforms and handouts from the government but before before we do that I just want to to emphasize that you distinguished briefly there between the state of journalism and media organizations can you can you expand just a bit Yes well with legacy media newspapers and television journalism has historically been subsidized by advertising. The advertising is now going away from newspapers and television because there's a much more effective way to advertise now, which is online. Facebook and especially Google are, are grabbing most of the advertising revenues. Uh, Google, about half of the online advertising. Facebook, about half of the other half. Uh, Google has come up with this killer app of uh, being able to match advertisers with uh, potential customers. It's an old saying in the newspaper, in the advertising business, where advertisers complain that, well, half my advertising dollars are are wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, under Google's algorithm, they can much more closely match their advertisements with uh, with uh, customers who are actually interested in buying their products because, of course, Google knows everything about you, what you're, what you're searching for. <laughs> and so it, it's a much more effective means of advertising. Legacy media are suffering as a result. Um, the great hope, of course, was that Online journalism would more than pick up the slack, but unfortunately a profitable model for online journalism other than niche journalism has, has yet to be discovered. And so the, there's a gaping gap between the shrinking legacy media and the emerging online media. Okay, so just to emphasize then, when, when you talk about 
the the absence of a crisis, you're talking about the the corporate side of Canadian media, not about the challenges that journalists themselves and I guess journalism more broadly has faced in Canada with what I think everybody recognizes has been pretty significant cutbacks, perhaps in part driven by these large media organizations' desire for continued profitability. I think it would be fair to say that journalism in Canada is in crisis, as it is in most parts of the world, uh, simply because it, it's it's not, like I say, enjoying this uh, subsidy from advertising as, as it has in decades past. Yeah. So so when we get companies like Postmedia and Torstar coming to Ottawa, speaking before Parliament Hill, lobbying various politicians, they, of course, are often putting the context or the framing around journalism. But the reality is when you look at their books, as you've suggested, it tells a somewhat different story. Why don't we, we talk for a moment about Post Media? It's the largest of the newspaper chains in Canada and has and certainly recently been the most successful in lobbying for government support. Yes, well, Post Media, uh, of course, is the largest newspaper chain in uh, Canada. They own something like 15 of the 22 largest daily newspapers. It's the former family-owned Southam uh, newspaper chain, which I worked for for almost 20 years, and it was a, a quality news organization. But then in the mid-1990s, it was taken over by a fellow you may have heard of named Conrad Black, and he changed its nature entirely. He changed the nature of journalism in Canada, he made it much more acceptable to be uh, a political advocates as journalists. He even started a new newspaper called the National Post in 1998 to be a conservative um, counterpoise to the Globe and Mail national newspaper, which he felt was dangerously liberal. It may have worked because uh, not uh, too long after that, we had a, a decade of conservative governments, which I largely ascribe to the uh, the spread of uh, the National Post and what was um, called um, Hollinger uh, International was Black's company. He flipped the Southern newspapers at the millennium to CanWest Global Communications which owned the third television network, Global Television. This was, of course, um, the convergence model of print television ownership, which proved such a disaster and left the Canadian media in a shambles. Within a, a decade, uh, CanWest became overextended with debt, overleveraged, and as soon as the uh, financial crisis hit in 2008, they were unable to pay their loans as a result of reduced revenues brought by uh, advertising um, cuts. And so they went into bankruptcy. Uh, fortunately, the company was deconverged um, and uh, the newspapers were sold separately from the global uh, television network, which I believe was bought by uh, Shaw Communications. Uh, the uh, newspapers, unfortunately, were taken over by mostly U.S. hedge funds. They had uh, scooped up a lot of the debt of CanWest Global Communications when, when it became obvious that they might uh, go into bankruptcy, and they, they managed to take over the company at, at pennies on the dollar. Uh, this, despite supposed foreign ownership limits in Canada, 
of 25% on newspapers. The Harper government uh, waved this through and uh, it's just uh, gone from bad to worse. They, they used some of the debt that they held to uh, buy the company out of bankruptcy. This was called a credit bid, which is not allowed in some places. They kept the rest of it on the books so that they would have to be paid every month on hundreds of millions of dollars of debt at high interest rates. And so they've been bleeding the com uh, company dry for the past um, 10 years or so. And this is, this is the big problem, which I don't think a lot of people understand, is that the hedge funds are skimming it off the top. This is, this is their game. And this has all been enabled by the federal government. Then in uh, 2014, they took over the second largest newspaper company in Canada, Sun Media. And this was again rubber stamped, this time by the Competition Bureau, which has done nothing historically to stem the tide of rising ownership concentration, and especially in newspapers. And so it's a bit of a disaster. Okay, so just to, to sort of focus for a moment on that notion of, of hedge funds now controlling the company and uh, taking money off the top, does that suggest that a company like Post Media actually is profitable in its operations, but is able to say or does say that it is losing money, not because of its operations, but rather because of its ongoing debt that it's paying out to these hedge funds? Yes, they are still comfortably profitable on an operating basis, uh, about 10% profit margin, but they are having to pay this debt, which actually they are now paying off, and uh, it looks like they could uh, well survive, but the, the big losses, which are frequently reported, are paper losses for the, the reduced value of their assets. It was a few years ago reported that Post Media lost something like 300 and 50 million dollars. Well, this was only on paper, like I say, as a result of something like a 370 million dollar write-off of their asset value on an operating basis, money coming in the door, money going out the door, they were still comfortably profitable. Wow. So they've got the, the operating side of being able to run a large media organization like Post Media remains profitable. What we're, what we're talking about or what they're talking about when they focus on the losses is either payments out to venture capitalists or accounting measures that write down values that allow them to show losses, even though the operational side is actually pretty healthy. Yes, accountants have a measure called EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization. And it is used to determine the value of the company, which is usually a multiple four or five times the annual uh, earnings of the company on an operating basis. Um, last year, on an operating basis, Post Media made $65 million. Torstar made $60 million. Like I say, it's a, a far cry from 10 years ago when they were both making uh, profits in the hundreds of millions of dollars, but they are still um, making money, and I, I predict that they will continue to do so. Okay, so they're prof they're making money in terms of their operations. You mentioned Torstar, uh, publisher of the, of course, of the Toronto Star, is doing the same. 
Despite that situation, those companies have been leading the charge for government support for the industry, arguing that they are in crisis, and they were successful over the last year or so with a new government program that could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Your thoughts on the government's major new initiatives to in support of the industry? Yes, well, uh, the, the newspaper companies in Canada can probably thank me for this $595 million that they're getting because when Post Media merged the newsrooms of its uh, newspapers in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and Ottawa, I, I was so outraged that I went to see my local MP, Hetty Fry. I was uh, living and teaching in Vancouver at the time. And I, I pointed out to her that the, the Pacific Press monopoly in Vancouver between the Sun and the province had only been allowed on the basis of economic necessity in 1960 after they promised that they would do nothing to reduce the independence of those newspapers. And it seemed to me like merging their newsrooms and having the same stories appear in both newspapers was definitely doing that. Uh, Post Media had made all sorts of promises that they wouldn't do anything like this in Calgary, Edmonton, or Ottawa if their purchase of Sun Media was approved. Of course, as soon as it was approved, that was one of the first things that they did. So within a few weeks of me going to see Hetty Fry, she um, uh, brought these hearings um, together in Ottawa on news and local communities. They sat for 17 weeks, uh, sorry, 17 months and issued a report uh, calling for government subsidies. And it, it took the government some, some time before they decided to uh, provide the subsidies. But now that they have, it looks like most of the money is going to go to old media, the newspaper chains to enrich their shareholders uh, and the hedge funds rather than to new media to try and bridge this divide, which I described earlier, between uh, legacy media and new media. I don't think there's any doubt that, that uh, online journalism is the way of the future. It's just a, a question of finding a profitable business model. I don't think keeping old uh, media afloat is, is, is the way to go. I think we need to be looking to the future, not to the past. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that that view is shared certainly by many. When we think about some of the data that you've been trying to highlight, the fact that from an operational perspective there still is profitability that suggests that there at least at a minimum is not that immediate crisis that we sometimes hear about. Yes, uh, things aren't nearly as bad as they are being portrayed by big media, but of course, uh, big media they can our perceptions uh, to a large extent and so when it comes to the perceptions of big, big media they're gonna they're gonna control them in a certain way and I think you have to go to the actual data to check the facts and that's what I've been trying to do but it's uh, I feel a little bit about like a, a Don Quixote <laughs> tilting against windmills well, it can be a challenge to be sure, but I'm glad that you, you came on the podcast to ensure that at least a broader range of people have the chance to, to hear this perspective and hear what some of the data actually tells us. Mark, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It was my pleasure. 
That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.